Welcome to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. Welcome to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack. And today, our guest is Derek Sherell, and he is a real estate investor, ADU developer, and endurance athlete with over 25 years experience in the building and development trade. Today, he consults with homeowners and investors on how to plan, design, finance, build, and hold affordable ADUs. And after years of research and development, he founded thataduguy.com. He's recognized as a national ADU expert, a guest speaker for large and small events, and has been featured on Bigger Pockets, One Rental at a Time, and many other top REI education platforms. So Derek, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Glad to be here and just hope I can say a few things that help your listeners. All right. So Derek, can you share a little bit more about your background and how you got started with real estate? Yeah. So just quickly, I got started in real estate by accident. My story starts as like a 15-year-old kid in woodshop. And we had this amazing teacher that kind of handpicked a group of us. We thought we were special, but really what he saw was that we probably weren't going to go to college. We were probably having trouble staying on task in other classes and he'd better teach us a trade. So he developed a construction technologies class. Long story short, we ended up building an accessory residential unit for one of our teachers. And I just happened to be in this little Southern Oregon town called Ashland, Oregon, who was on the leading edge of infill housing zoning laws at the time and had a legal opportunity to build what is now known as an ADU. So I started building ADUs. I started an apprenticeship right after high school, um, was a contractor and was on that side of the business for several years. And probably six years into that, it occurred to me for the first time that I could potentially deploy this strategy myself. Fast forward a little bit, I've been planning, designing, financing, building holding and managing accessory dwelling units for going on three decades. And my life's work is to share that process with other people to A, provide needed infill housing, and to B, also provide a good income and a good return for people that may be wanting to leave their W-2 job or investors of all sizes. So with the ADUs, Let's say if you're looking to get started in the space or maybe implement that in get started with creating an ADU or setting one up, what kind of properties would make the most sense to place an ADU on? Are there preferred types of properties? Are there properties that you most likely wouldn't place one on? How do you start looking at the landscape and the environment and whether or not it would be feasible? Yeah, great question. So we can't put these everywhere under any circumstance. So that's a really good point. I'm glad you asked. First and foremost, always is going to be think about the paper, think about the code, you have to become an expert in your local planning and zoning code. So we could have all the highlights that I talk about a flat lot, alley access, close to bus stops, good utilities, But it doesn't matter if the jurisdiction that you're in doesn't allow accessory dwelling units or they allow it, but there's something like, say, a city storm drain easement that goes through your yard. 
So I always tell people to start with the planning and zoning office. I recommend that you call, email, and go into the planning and zoning office in a couple of capacities. One would be, I'm a new investor. I have a good job. I work in tech, but my goal in 10 years is to get five rental properties. I'd like to do an accessory dwelling unit at my current house. Can I do one here? thing about planning and zoning is it's so site-specific. It's not just like, can I do an ADU in California? We'll get into California code, which is some of the best infill housing code in the country. And I hope your listeners can capitalize on that. But really a site-specific thing. So can I do this at my property or I'm looking at this area code in this state? I would call, email, and if possible, go into the planning office and say, hey, what zones within your municipality can I deploy this strategy? And where does the city like to see infill supported? So if you can get the decision makers on your side, or if you can, you know, nothing is going to build trust faster than asking the decision makers what their opinions are and where the city would like to see this, and then going and implementing that. It'll make your life a lot easier. So first, again, is planning and zoning. The second thing is going to be what type of ADU are you looking to build or convert? For newer investors or somebody with maybe not a lot of experience, I would always say consider the internal conversion ADU. That's where you take a section of a house and for all intents and purposes, you're taking a single family home and converting it into a shared wall duplex. I would be looking for details that will support that structure. If you're looking for a standalone accessory dwelling unit, I always tell people you're looking for a yard that you can take approximately 30 steps in two directions in. I like flat lots because it keeps costs down. I like alley access, corner lots, especially if they already have a curb cut on both sides are amazing. And then mid-70s to 1980 or newer infrastructure. That way, we're not having to replace sewer lines and upgrade electrical panels before we deploy this little development strategy. So that was a lot to unpack there, but those are kind of my basics. It's all goal-oriented, but no matter what, it starts with planning and zoning. Is it an allowable use in the area you're trying to deploy it? So between the couple of different ADUs that you're looking to build or convert an existing structure on, which one is a preferred method or does one perform better or is more profitable over the long run than the other? I'll split those questions into like three pieces. So by far, my favorite and the most profitable every time in any climate is going to be the new detached standalone ADU. It doesn't mean it's going to be the most profitable in all areas due to the cost. So for example, we'll just break them into a few categories. The cheapest and easiest is the eternal conversion ADU. Think about buying a four or three house. The master bedroom is on one side of the layout and it already has an exterior door. You're going to pull some simple permits to block off the doorway into the hall, pull a couple permits for fire and life safety code, and then you already have an exterior entrance. The bathroom's already done. You're going to put in a simple one wall galley kitchen. That could cost thirty dollars to $100,000. And your profit is probably going to be the highest with that strategy because the cost is so low. Obviously, you're going to have less demand. I tell everybody in the ADU world that the tenants are going to want the same things we want as homeowners in this order. They're going to want location, privacy, and amenities. And if it's a shared wall, you're going to lose that big one of privacy. So that's the cheapest and always, not always, but usually the most profitable. And then kind of the middle ground would be like a garage conversion where you already have some of the space, but not all the infrastructure. And that's going to be a little bit more expensive, but still considerably cheaper than a standalone unit. And then kind of the deluxe investment, in my opinion, is always going to be the detached because you're driving those high demands and high prices with a small standalone custom house. 
almost all of the comparators and all the competition in the one bedroom or two one space is going to be apartment shared wall above, below, beside, maybe all three of those. So if you can take that market that's predominantly run by large multifamily and give them a similar sized and priced unit, but it stands alone in a nice backyard of a lower density area. Usually lower density areas are of higher land value. It's the ultimate. So I call it the high demand, low supply product. So that's kind of the breakdown of the three different classes of ADUs. What about in terms of size and then bedroom count or bathrooms of an ADU? What's the typical standard size that you typically would incorporate or start to build that would make the most sense. Yeah, yeah, wonderful. The rule of thumb on an ADU, the A is the most important part of that acronym. It's accessory. So an accessory dwelling unit is accessory to a primary structure. And most codes nationwide are going to have some kind of lower and higher end cap on the unit size. A good piece of model code is a thousand square feet or 75% of the primary house, whichever is smaller. So a lot of zones and jurisdictions, I look at code all over the country every day and 800 or a thousand, some places will let you build up to 1200 square feet. So there isn't an upper limit on the ADU most of the time. The bedroom count varies by area. I'd say the number one mistake I see people make is they go to their planning department and they find out that they can build a thousand square foot ADU on their house. And they say, Derek, I want a thousand square footer. And what it comes down to is what's the goal of this unit and what's going to drive the highest yield if yield is in your goals. And then we'll just do the math on that. And most of the time, we find that smaller accessory dwelling units are driving higher yields by far. So if you can think of an area where a one-bedroom, one-bath standalone unit that's 500 square feet, say it rents for $1,500. If you built that 1,000-square-footer and made it a two-bedroom, two-bath, it's probably not going to rent for 3000 There's a cap on two bedrooms, maybe, say, 1900 I'm using some markets I'm familiar with. So you're not getting a one-for-one -one return as you go bigger. Personally, I recommend that people build as small as they can to keep the cost down and keep the yield up. There's a few exceptions to that rule. San Diego, California, some other coastal towns, areas where the land is so valuable and it's so hard. The closer to the coast you get, the harder it is to build out and up. So there are some areas where I, I tell people, you know what, you may want to max out your size. I've seen people build three bedroom, two bath, ADUs, a thousand square feet. I've seen people build 1,200 square foot studios. It really is also going to depend on the end user. Not everybody is building their ADU for an investment or yield in mind. It could be for a home office. It could be for grandma to age in place. So the size is going to be dictated by the end user's needs and the yield that you're looking to drive. So after you go to the planning and zoning office and you figure out that, yes, you can build an ADU or you can create a split wall for your existing house that you have right now. After that, like, what does the permitting process look like in order to get everything set up? And then what are some of the risks that are involved with working with the city? And has there been a lot of issues with them pulling back permits or like stopping or preventing or delaying, you know, the constructions or builds of an ADU? Yeah, I'll go backwards on that one. Yes, there's always a problem with the bureaucracy. Build failure in your plan. It's going to take longer. It's going to cost more. The city is going to 
they're not going to meet the minimum requirements for response. And then they're going to say the application was incomplete. There's not always, but there's usually some back and forth with the city, usually based on planning and zoning and timing. Once you actually have the permitted, like stamped, approved blueprints in hand, all the holdup there is going to be from your build team or your, your actual actionable deployment team. The biggest hurdle is always going to be getting into planning and zoning. If it's an internal conversion ADU, it's going to be a little bit harder because you're going to need current blueprints of the primary structure as it is. And then you'll need a set of plans of the proposed changes. If you're building a new standalone accessory dwelling unit, I always tell people to at least consider asking your municipality if they have any pre-approved plans. The nice thing about a pre-approved plan, in many cases, they're free, but more valuable than that, they've already been through the building department, the fire department, the public works department, they're checked off. In most cases, you simply have to do a site map of your current plat, your property boundaries, and show where you're going to site this thing, meeting the side, rear, and front setbacks. And you pretty much cut to the front of the line. So if it's a detached ADU and you can handle the design that you didn't get to participate in, I always tell people to look at the pre-approved plans with the city. If not, you're going to have to hire either a drafts person or an engineer or an architect or all three, depending on the design of the building and the area you're in. So when you're working with designers, architects, engineers, construction companies, do you have to go with ADU specific companies or can you use any type of construction designers, engineers, or, you know, like a normal single family house or things like that? Are there specific ADU companies that you would prefer to work with? There's a lot of opinion in the accessory dwelling unit space about that question. I'll give you mine. I like to always hire or work with somebody that's already done something that I'm trying to do, period. I always want a specialist. If it's for healthcare, if it's for cooking, if it's for building, there's nuances in every little thing that we do. And ADUs are no different. A general construction company that's built 200 houses, they're going to have no problem building that accessory dwelling unit. But they're not going to be used to not being able to get their trusses into the backyard. They're not going to be used to maybe bidding on such a small boutique scale. They're not going to be as used to working with homeowners and telling them, hey, we're going to have to shut your water off for a couple of days and please don't flush the toilet because they're used to building on a big open tract of land in a subdivision. So there's different nuances. The actual building, the trades, that's less important. It is very important, though, that the person that you have either holding your hand or completing the whole application and permitting process, your drafts person, your engineer, your architect, they need to have done that asset class or that building type in your area. And one thing that I always do when I help other people interview project managers or firms is just ask them, hey, who's the community development director in said city? Do you know them personally? Who are the inspectors? Do you know any of their names? Do you have any of them on speed dial in your phone? So you want people that have relationships with the decision makers. So it's imperative in the planning and zoning process that you hire only people who have done ADU property um, submittals, in my opinion. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about. 
serving you, our listener, at a higher level and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. What about in terms of costs when you're building up an ADU or you're doing the internal conversion? What is like one of the biggest costs that people typically overlook or they under budget as they're trying to set up an ADU in place? Yeah, most all of them. Yeah, most people underestimate and under budget every step of the way. And I always like to kind of under promise and over deliver. And for our listeners to know, once a week, we put out a video on what we did, went into detail of how much it costs and what the steps were. So if people are interested in seeing that process, it's all free. Instead of designing a course and trying to sell it to a thousand people, we figured if it's free, maybe a hundred thousand people will see it. So we've given that away. There's a ton of great info over there as well. If listeners here are like, you know, this sounds like a strategy I should look into. Ton of free advice out there. Where's the best place to find potential residents for ADUs? I would say everywhere that you can possibly post it. Anywhere that you can put up a single family residence or anywhere you would put up a multifamily residence for rent. So I'm talking Craigslist, Facebook Marketplace, Zillow, Apartments.com, Trulia. There's a couple of different platforms where you make one post, you upload all your photos, and it posts to multiple sites. But the name of the game is to get as many eyeballs on your listing as you can so you can have more reach to therefore hopefully point more tenants towards your property. If you do decide to create a standalone ADU, what does that do to the property value? That is going to depend on your planning and design of the ADU. And a mistake I see people make often is they're in a neighborhood where the average square foot price is, say, $400 a square foot, 1970s T111 standard finish of the era. And they build a super custom over-designed ADU that costs them, say, $500 a square foot to build. And then they're upset when the appraisal comes in low and they can't burn all their money back out of it. So I always tell people to plan and design and build your ADU to the square foot price of your neighborhood. So in other words, if your home price is $400 a square foot, try to be all in for no more than $400 a square foot and expect to get 75% of that value. So you may only get an appraised value of 300000 for the 400000 you spent. It's not always one-to-one. It's also very site-specific. So if you're in Seattle, Washington, or Portland, Oregon, where there's a lot of ADUs and there's hundreds of comps, and it's been a known thing, and there's great value and great proven value for a decade or more, it's going to be easier to get higher appraisals. A good trick that I use myself and I share with folks, if you're worried about it, is Uh, Either use the pre-approved set of plans from your city or work with a drafts person, an architect and engineer, all three, and get a set of plans and go to a respected local appraiser with experience in your market and say, can you please, for pay, I would like to pay you for your time to give me an opinion of value of this plan set at this address completed in the next nine months. 
And that's the best way to get an idea of, hey, if I drain my 401k and spend all my savings on this ADU, is it going to be a return that I can live with? But another thing I add is the value isn't always the only piece of the equation. A lot of times you may not get 100% value back, but the cash flow is going to overly make up for that hit in actual appraisal difference to your equity position in the house. What about in terms of the financing side of it? Let's say if you don't have all the capital to fund the entire construction process, are there specific providers that you work with in terms of lenders who will lend for ADU-specific projects? Yes. Yes, there are. And then that's going to depend on your area and your credit worthiness and the several other factors. I always tell people to go to places where you already have relationships, think small local banks, small parking lot, you know, one or two branches. How about a credit union you've been with for 20 years? They all have interesting products. You know, you've got the 203K loan that you can do that's a federally backed product. If it's an attached ADU, there's a company that I partner with. They're called Renify and they do what I would say is it's not perfect, but it's probably the best second position long-term fixed rate debt product out for an ADU. Maybe outside of California residents, Northern California, there's a credit union called Redwood Credit Union and they have a really good debt product. I think it's a 90-10 LTV loan on an unbuilt ADU based on future value. And then there's some grant money and some other housing authority money to get you up to that, like maybe 100 to 110%. So in other words, you can finance the whole thing. I always tell people, I'll just go through it real quick again, is start with your local credit union and bank, tell them what you want to do. Ask if there's any equity in your house that you can use. There's products like Renify. Another thing that I point people in the direction of is talk to your employer-sponsored retirement fund account managers. You know, there's different rules with different accounts, but a lot of them will let you borrow, say, 50% of that account out for anything you want, for that matter. And then you pay interest back to yourself over usually a 60-month term. If you leave that job, you're going to have to pay that back. So make sure you see all the details. But also private money, you know, hey, Uncle John, this is an ADU that's going to cost $200,000 to build. It's going to produce $2,500 a month of rent. It's a no-brainer. Will you partner with me and fund it? So if the deal makes sense, the money should come. So Derek, what's next for you? Right now, for me, it's all about sharing what's taken me 30 years to learn. It's been a lot of banging my head against the wall. I've been shouting ADUs from the rooftops for 20 years and It hasn't been, but maybe the last four that people are listening. And now that huge markets like the state of California have passed tremendous infill housing legislation that demands that every city in a municipality in the state allow 280Us, it's become really popular. So I've been doing a lot of work on training and education. I teach for a not-profit organization called Earth Advantage. I teach an ADU class there. I teach annually at the ADU Academy. I give away all my free content. Like I said earlier, as opposed to building a course and maybe selling it to 100 or 1,000 people a year, I figure if everything I do, I try to keep free and open source it, it will have larger reach and will help more people build this needed infill housing unit with you know a nice return as well. I call it capitalism with compassion. So I like to share ADU stuff. I run a lot of miles. I'm an ultra runner. And when the snow starts to fly, I'll be skiing every morning. 
but that's kind of what I'm up to. I just do ADU stuff and recreation every day. How has real estate investing impacted your life, Derek? It's changed my life. It's changed my friends. It's changed who I am. I've always done this on the side. I was a professional builder and then I was a fireman EMT at a structural fire department for 15 years. It's allowed me to, you know, I retired in my late 30s. It's given me a life way beyond my wildest dreams. I'm able to give people new, clean, safe market rate housing. Some of my housing I have subsidized through partnerships with different government programs. So they're what most people consider affordable housing, but really they're just subsidized to make them affordable. But I live a life beyond my wildest dreams because of real estate, because of ADUs. So I'm just kind of living in gratitude for sure. And if there's one thing that you know now about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started, what would that be? It's hard. You know, everybody talks about passive income. We're all on social media looking at everybody's best deal and best day. I'm realizing the more experience I have and the longer that I'm in this game, the harder it is. I used to, maybe it was because I had more energy and more ignorance, but the longer I'm in real estate, the more I realize that it's a business and it's hard. Like it can be hard. It's not a get rich quick plan. In fact, I call my strategy kind of one at a time path to wealth, which is you buy a primary house and you remodel it and build an ADU. And the next year you do that again. I mean, do the math. In 10 years, you have 20 units. It's slow and steady. It's the slow, sure path to wealth. And so many people today are talking about syndicating 500 apartment units and buying 100 units in their first year with no money. And that just hasn't been the case for myself or people that I know and people that I interact with. So I just not to scare anybody away, just because it's hard doesn't mean it's not attainable, but it's hard business. And what is the one thing that sets the successful people apart in real estate investing? They're consistent. Everybody that I know that's successful is consistent. They get knocked down, they get back up. Just don't quit. Slow and steady. Stay consistent. If you tell yourself it's going to take you 10 years to leave your W-2 job and build a life way beyond your wildest dreams, and you remind yourself every day and you stay consistent, you'll get there. So Derek, where can our listeners find out more about you and what you're doing? Yeah, you can find me at thataduguy.com. That has a link to all my other stuff. That ADU Guy on YouTube, I give away all of my trade secrets, literally like in the trenches, gluing pipe together. This is how we hook up a sewer line. This is how we stand up a wall. So a lot of the stuff I'm doing is still really hands-on. That's my art. That's what I love to do. And then I'm probably most active on Instagram. I try to post a couple of reels a week. It's all real-time stuff, what we're doing, the good, the bad, and the ugly, not only building ADUs, but also managing them and the day-to-day. I throw a little bit of personal stuff in there too. So you can follow me at any of those places. Awesome. Derek, thank you so much for all of your time today. I appreciate it. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate. We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. If you're anything like Zayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long-term wealth, check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. 
Sale and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. Download your free copy today at bonifestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonifestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.